to Unboxing E-Commerce. I'm James Marks, a serial entrepreneur who built and recently exited an e-commerce fulfillment service called Whiplash. I've been investigating business mysteries since I launched my first business when I was 17. I'm Jennifer Yates, a business operations leader, creator, and connector. I quickly see the landscape of a business from all Zoom levels, angles, and relationships. We use our combined expertise and curiosity to understand the process behind the package. Each episode, we order from your favorite brands and reverse engineer their operations stack. We learn what tools they're using and why, so we can run your business like the pros. Jennifer, are you ready to unbox e-commerce? I'm ready. Let's get to that box. Hey, James. Hey, Jennifer, we are back. <laughs> oh my gosh. It feels like I just saw you yesterday. This podcast is taking over my life. <laughs> I know we started this as this little side project. I'm like, oh, we'll record an episode and see if we like it. Yesterday, I think that's like all I worked on. It's so fun though. I also worked on our podcast yesterday and I'm excited to share what I found, but you know, what's going on in business, life, whatever. Just like I said, I'm, I'm busy and this podcast is taking over my life. It's been so fun to just get this out there and work on it. And I, I'm surprised by how much we've enjoyed this and getting a little bit of feedback here and there that people are listening and they like it. Like, yeah, yeah that's exciting. Heard, it is exciting. I've heard good feedback too. And the one thing I did have an idea. A light bulb moment. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those stop on the sidewalk moments and like have an idea kind of wash over you. I was walking with my son, Josh, who is a grown adult. Now, you probably remember Josh. I do remember Josh. You were a small child. Child, yes. Yeah. Uh, You would have been eight at the time. They're Mm -hmm. 30 now. And so they're talking about ornamentation causing an object to be protected and preserved. Oh, I want to know more. Well, so if you picture like an antique, right? This is like a dresser that somebody made. And so here it is now. It's 200 years old. And a lot of care has gone into it over time to make sure it was always taken care of, to make sure when it broke, it got fixed. And so this thing has lived this long life because it was nice to begin with. Yes. And I was thinking a lot about... intricate. Yeah. And that there's like, oh, there's something there. And I think we're talking about, you know, minimum viable product versus minimum lovable product. Mm. And like software rot is real and software needs to be maintained. And so there has to be something there and some ornamentation and something that makes it lovable to warrant that continued investment and like saving it over time. Yes, that is absolutely true. And I mean, part of the ornamentation is the innovation coming from the company side and building it that way. And part of the ornamentation is, as we talked about with the minimal lovable product, which I have continued to use, you're building something for the sake of people and users and your community and they're part of the ornamentation if you think about it and that's a legacy as well so two words i didn't hear there but i think you're right around them is community and connection and uh, yeah absolutely yes that's that's what we're we're all about to make a human connection right Mm -hmm. i mean maybe for some There's a transactional element, but I think for you and for me, especially, and this is 
one of the ways we actually <laughs> met is yeah. around community and connection. And yeah. like those two items, they exist in ourselves and our businesses. Here we are 20 years later, still. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I think it's like why I worked in logistics for, you know, what ended up being over a decade. I'm still sort of involved is because of the connections and because of, you know, it really is those relationships. I, I think this is something that, you know, Jeff Walpov, who ran Port Logistics Group and now is like SVP, I think of Whiplash at Rider, he would always talk about the relationships. Like anybody can ship a box. But, you know, there's the relationship behind that box. And I always thought about that. And like, how does that sit alongside technology where, you know, it's not supposed to be relationships. It's like a piece of code, but it still is. If you do it well, there's still humans behind all of these systems. There's always humans. And it's funny that you bring this up randomly. I actually just ran a workshop. I'm trying to teach people how to manage their work and their projects better. But the way I introduce that every single time is you can create a process, you can create a system, you can create an automation to help people work better. But those things are only as good as their acceptance and their adoption. <laughs> and who's at the core of acceptance and adoption? Yeah. Humans. Yeah. So every project, every process, every software, every business is human. Yeah. And it's central to me and to you and, you know, yeah, I, love I mean, it. there's this whole other question right now, which is getting into AI is continuing to you know seep into the world. And what does that mean? Like we're talking about how oh, I got these humans consuming these things. And you're like, well, we think that this is what's important. And I'm still going to stand by that. But then also kind of being cognizant that will it still be a human on the other end? Or is it going to be a script that's like reading human? You know, I was looking at these programs that you just type out what you want it to do and it goes in and now it's going to control your web browser and you've like written a human readable SOP, but you've got some AI bot that's actually interpreting it and running it. I don't know, because I still think there is something special that humans bring to these situations and maybe they're not going to be right for every job, but... Absolutely. Somebody I, still needs I, to maintain the AI bot. There still has to be like a where, like a, a there, there. Yes. And I think for certain things that are typically more, quote unquote, robotic in nature, an SOP, a yeah. way of working, programming language, algorithms, prompts even yeah. for what to do on a creative level. Yeah. All of that is... To me, it's okay to use AI for those things. Yeah. It's when you insert the creative side and the artistic element, then, I mean, I'm sure AI is going to get better, but to me, at least right now and probably in the... Well, I have some ethical concerns anyway, because <laughs> AI yeah. is absorbing everything. Yeah. So the artists and the creators are not getting credit for their yeah. work. It's just yeah. absorbed. And then the output is the law of averages. So everything gets yeah. distilled into yeah. an average experience. And yes. that is where 
I struggle. I really do. Well, and the the number of average experiences that are going to be created, I think like, so right now the world's a very noisy place. So if you go on social media, there's way more content than anybody can consume. The truth is obviously hard to tell. Is this real? Is it fake? All of that is going to get so much worse because the ability to create average content is just going to be so effortless, right? Mm -hmm. That you're running a bot farm or whatever. The average content is going to be everywhere. So I think there's like navigating that noise. And, you know, we've seen over time, like curation becomes really important. Like you can build an entire brand around curation. And I think that's going to be even more important to make sense of the noise. Agreed. And I mean, I don't know if you're seeing it in your sphere, but I have been seeing a lot of people dropping out of certain social media, certain... Places, certain uses of things because they don't want it anymore. Now it's not widespread, but I'm seeing. Yeah. I mean, there's seeing some of that. Like, I know if I spend too much time, like, I'll post to LinkedIn because I need, like, I suppose trying to get like a job, get a job filled. Right. And so then Mm -hmm. you're looking to see for replies and you're looking and you're looking and you're looking. And it creates this, like, really just kind of gross feeling of like craving validation and that next dopamine hit of like, Oh, I got a message. Mm. And it's, it's hard when you're talking about growth and you're trying to like work these programs where you're trying to fulfill a legitimate task. Even then like the hooks of social media, I can feel them clawing at me and then you turn it off and you just, you feel better. <laughs> like yeah, you just, oh yeah. You just it's, turn the whole thing off. Now you probably noticed this. I am a big user of LinkedIn. I, post a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I post content. I post videos. I comment. I do not pay attention to any of the metrics. The only thing I pay attention to is if someone comments Mm -hmm. on a post, then I feel it is my obligation to respond back Mm -hmm. to that comment. So I'm paying attention there. But what I view LinkedIn in my world. And it took a minute to get to this. I view it more as a community. Again, we're back to that word. And with like real people behind with real people. And I have made real friends through LinkedIn where I've had video phone calls with and we've kept in touch and support each other and support each other's businesses. So when I look at it as a community, and I'm interacting with real people. Yeah. All of the other kind of goes away yeah. because it doesn't matter to me. I yeah. think there's something about like LinkedIn is the ultimate, like, because, you know, we talk about like bot accounts and whatever, some of the things that have plagued like the big social media companies. LinkedIn is, I always feel like there's a human behind it. I'm a master cold emailer historically. I do not cold email. I can think of maybe two people I cold emailed, but it was because like one is the author of a book. Actually, that's who I cold email authors of books that move Mm -hmm. me. And then I'll send them something just praising their thought process or their book and kind of fan fanning all over them. But I am not a cold emailer. So I've, I've won his, I don't want to name names, but I've won like big contracts, cold emailing. Um, this is like a curated one a month, like six a year thing. It is not like this one crazy trick to spam all your LinkedIn 
contacts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, kudos to you. You cold emailed someone and got us press passes at a conference. Yeah, it, so, does, it does worry. I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I still got it. I mean, it's funny you say that. Like, you obviously have an ability and an art form to be able to do that. I post a lot on LinkedIn, which is my quote unquote cold email. And Sometimes when I do have to put like when I did this workshop, I had to post about it a lot. And I thought I was just going to vomit. I mean, <laughs> I just was so, <laughs> so sick about it. But I knew I had to, you yeah. know, to get people to register. And it worked, right? You got, you got registers. And, and how yeah. did it go overall? Do you feel like it delivered what you wanted it to? Yeah. I mean, I have gotten really good feedback, including bloody amazing. I've gotten feedback on the follow-up emails, like your follow-up emails are so good. So yes, it went really well. 15 people registered and 14 showed up. That's fantastic. And I, it is. And I've heard from people who know that usually when there are registrations, only about 50% show up. So right. Right. Yeah. So you're your upper 90s, mid 90s. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. I'm going to keep doing them. I love to teach. I love yeah. it. So, yeah. and it's called yeah. One Tiny Hour. Is that right? It's called One Tiny Hour. And the content takes less than one tiny hour. So I leave room <laughs> for questions. And it's interactive. We play games that really show people examples of how we can improve very quickly over time in measurable ways. It's fun. It's well, a so lot of fun. That sounds like so much fun. I, I hope I get to join one sometime. You it can also, join whenever you want. I'll give well, you a press thank pass. You. Thank you. I would appreciate <laughs> that. It's relevant here because let's get into our episode. Yes. And when you see the book that I ordered, I think it's going to make a lot of sense to you. Oh, really? Maybe you've already read it. Honestly, it sounds like you are, or you don't have to read it because you already know it. So Ooh, it's a mystery. <laughs> and you know, I love mysteries. Mine is also a mystery to me. I will say, James, it took so long for this package to arrive that I don't remember what I ordered. Oh, no. I only remember I ordered a book. So yay, when we unpack the box, I get to be surprised. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Uh, well, so our brand this episode is... Powell's Books. Oh, have you ever been there? I have. Powell's yeah. is the world's largest independent bookstore in Portland, Oregon. And I've it, been. Have you? Yes. It's, I've it's been massive. a couple of times. It's massive. And I'll tell you about its massiveness in the research and history. But I want to know why Powell's, quote unquote, city of books. Yeah. Well, Books generally have an interesting role with e-commerce because books are famously the first thing that Amazon sold. And it was because, you know, Jeff Bezos noticed that they were relatively consistently shaped. So you weren't going to have a ton of different boxes to keep in stock. They were non-breakable and they didn't have sizes. So you weren't going to have all these return problems. And even better, that there was already a distribution network where you could actually place orders you know, they would sell a book online and they would order that book from the distributor and it would either drop ship or that would be like in the next inventory would arrive and then they would ship orders out of that day's orders. And so 
you know, when you think about starting an e-commerce brand back before we really had the concept of e-commerce, you had to have all of those fast lanes to see if your idea could work at all without spending millions of dollars on inventory. Gogops. You brought up, first of all, the semi-standardization of size and not so many variations on the thing. And they're cataloged already, right? Yeah. And so they already had like ISPC and UPCs, Mm -hmm. like those already existed long before clothing was as uniform as it is now. I don't even know now clothing in particular uniform, but books were very early to that because they just lend themselves to that kind of catalogization. That's a really good observation and a good reason why we picked this brand or you picked it. So I'm going to pose a riddle to you. You're going to be able to answer it. I'm not, not going to no, feel no, I'm, no, stumped. I'm, I, I'm already stumped. I already want to give up. No, James, I got this. I can do this. You've got it. You've got it. I'm telling you the answer is right in front of you. Okay. Um, the riddle is... What has three floors, 10 rooms, 3,500 sections, and 68,000 square feet of space and takes up one entire city block? (laughs) (laughs) I I can do this. You can. I'm going to guess Powell's books. Yes. With that much space, it sure feels like the city of books. So I noticed in my research that Powell's goes by Powell's. It goes by Powell's books. And it also goes by Powell's city of books. Mm -hmm. So we'll just stick with Powell's. But Powell's started when Michael Powell, and he is the son in this multi-generation family. Uh Michael Powell was at the University of Chicago in graduate school and decided to take over a lease at a bookstore in 1970. Okay. Yeah. And he borrowed $3,000 to do that. And his success was so swift that he paid that back in two months. (laughs) So Michael is the son. The dad, Walter, was retired. I think he was a painter or contract, you know, painter, contractor. So Walter, the dad, came out from Portland to visit his son one summer and worked in the bookstore and loved it so much that when he went back to Portland, he opened Powell's and opened his own in 1971. So I don't know what the months were when, you know, each store opened, but but very quick. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael opens in 1970 in Chicago. Walter goes back to Portland after working and in 1971 opens the store. He, Walter, the dad, crammed the store with so many books that he ultimately had to move into a former car dealership, Mm -hmm. which is the current location. I looked at pictures. You can kind of still see evidence of the auto, you know, it's it's roots in automotive. Yeah, I love it. So he ended up taking over this former car dealership and then... 
in 79, Michael, the son, moves back to Portland mm. to join his dad in the bookstore. So now we've got two generations running the bookstore. And it was a really unusual business model at the time because they had new and used books in the same store. So as a customer, you could go in and see an author's full collection. Right. Because of the new and used, and no one was doing that at the time. They were also carrying hardback and paperback. So if you think about the customer point of view and community, as I think that's a theme in today's episode, and Powell's is really about community. I mean, so Michael the Sun moves in 1979. They keep filling the store with that model, you know, new and used paperback, hardback. In 1982, Michael bought the store from his dad. And Mm. in 2010, Michael handed management of the business to his daughter, Emily, who is still running the store. So now it's third generation. But let me interject a couple nuggets of goodness here. Powell's launched their website in 1994 before Amazon even existed. Oh, that I did not see coming. Yes. This is the little nugget of goodness. In the early days, the website accounted for 10% of revenue. So that's pretty substantial. That's material. Yeah. Yeah. Powell's, although beloved and revered in Portland, they have had a few labor struggles And they're kind of continuing on even today. So I feel obligated to touch on that just a little bit. They had their first reduction in force in 1998. So about 26 employees became organized in 2000, a couple years after that, and got a three-year contract in place. But in 2011... Powell's had another layoff and it was 7% of their workforce that time. So early 2000s and then jumped 10 years to 2011 and then jumped another 10 years to 2020 mm-hmm. and COVID came and Powell's let go of 85% of their unionized employees. Mm. And when it was time to hire back, they hired both union and non-union staff to fill the online orders. And in 2021, when they were restaffing the bookstore, former employees were required to reapply for their jobs. And on Labor Day, 2023. So just a few months ago, employees went on strike and the store was closed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's what I mean by labor struggles. They've had some... Yeah, uh, clearly there's been some... You know, some challenges. Yeah, Yeah, back and forth challenges. The employees they do have are book lover types, all kinds of employees, all varieties of books are loved by their employees. The store is open every single day of the year, 365, and still has... Yes, I was surprised to learn that. No wonder they've got labor problems. (laughs) Yes, there's no break. 
So they're open 365 and they still have a mix of inventory. You've been there. I've been there. You know, it's more than books. There is print on demand. There's a coffee shop inside. There are gifts. There are events. There's print on demand in the store. What does that mean? It's called espresso print in my research, which I've now closed. The print on demand came about in pretty early days, like I want to say early 2000s. Wait a minute. So you can submit a book for considerations. Powell's accepts digital submissions for authors and Mm -hmm. publishers. This is crazy because it's a bookstore, right? They're not a book book publisher per se. They're just a bookstore. But a lot of bookstores have gotten into the self-publishing game, even Borders before it closed. I remember they had kiosks that were devoted to self-publishing and encouraging people to submit their writings to these kiosks for self-publication. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then it looks like Powell's has a relationship with Ingram, who is a publisher, Mm -hmm. which I might actually give us a clue as to where my order shipped from. Ooh, we're getting into the juicy juice. Yeah. Okay. So every episode, and I always forget to mention this, so I want to call it out now. When I do research or when James mentions a back end, we put my research sources in the show notes and we've started including the back end mentions also in the show notes. So from here on out, a couple episodes ago, we started doing that. So if you hear something mentioned, you can find it in the show notes. James, what was your experience with shopping <laughs> at Powell's? Because we slacked about this. We, we slacked about this. We were trying to choose the right book. And we ended up, I think, just kind of doing our own shopping on this one. And I was a little disappointed. I found the website kind of hard to use. It was a bit of a bummer because I came in with like a, a love for Powell's books. And it, it wasn't great, to be honest. Yes. I also had the same thing. And I'll read you my notes in a second. But as I was going through the shopping experience, it made me wonder. Now, this was before I researched. And, you know, their digital presence has been about for a long time preceding Amazon. But at the time when I was placing the order and becoming... I guess, interacting with their online ordering system, I just wondered their emphasis must be on in-person community yeah. because this website is like not doing it for me. Well, it's, a, it's so a, we talked about it. It feels like it was like, I don't remember what year we used, but it felt like it was like maybe like late 90s, right? That's just, exactly the year we used. Yeah. And so, <laughs> said, uh, this is so old school. Well, so a website of this scale and complexity, I can, I can get into some of the tools they're using, but it's interesting. I think there's like a little bit of like excavation. You can get a sense of when something was built by what technologies they're using. Like they're using a service called Crazy Egg, which was, I remember being really popular to heat mapping like way back and using something called jQuery, which is really popular a while ago, right? There's like several generations of JavaScript libraries yeah. now that are, I mean, it's not to say nobody's using jQuery. jQuery is, has a massive install base. It's a big part of WordPress. Like it's, it's not going anywhere, but if you were building something from scratch today, you'd probably you use would. React or, or yes, you, know, you would not you, you use something else. Um, you would have graduated from jQuery. Cause I remember using that in the, 
2000 aughts, you know? Exactly. Um, So it's like you get like a little bit of like when something was built. Because you think about a store this size, there'd be like a big one-time cost to build it out. And then it's like slipping into out of relevancy starting that moment. And like a site this size, and this is like hundreds of thousands of dollars to build, I'm mm -hmm. sure. And then Mm -hmm. you need to reinvest. We came to Powell's. I wanted to talk about what a great job they were doing. And instead, what we found is this website, it's kind of time to re-up it. It feels like the late 90s. And Yeah, it does feel like the late 90s. I wasn't surprised. It just made me wonder what they're emphasizing. And Powell's is a destination. And so I was thinking, okay, so their website is just there because they need to have it. But I love the idea of an archaeological dig on this. Yeah. And uncovering the fact that their tech stack is, it's a timestamp. It is. You know, their tech stack is is a timestamp. So I don't know if you want to keep going on the tech stack or if you want to hear what my journey was. Uh, or both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm curious to hear about your journey. And I've got a couple of names I want to drop because it's not like nobody's working on this thing. There's a couple of modern tools that I think are supporting interesting things. And we can get into those in a second. I think it's really hard to maintain these big old systems. And I guess this episode was more like when I'm looking at this, it reminded me of how difficult e-commerce is. Just even things like I think I shared the link to a book with you in Slack and it generates a preview, which is like all extra work, right? To make your website have that preview and like to show up looking nice on an iPhone is all stuff that came out within the last 10 years. And like instead we get this like broken thing and it showed me some like CSS garbage that like, you know, for a preview Mm -hmm. and you're like, well... Shopify would never do that. But maybe it's good that they're not using Shopify. If they're the independent bookstore, is that part of being independent is not paying a subscription to keep your website up? That's right. And they precede their website preceded so many of these things. Maybe that is part of their mission, you know, is we are an independent bookstore. We're detaching from all of these other pieces that yeah, kind of all these compromise all, that a little that, bit. That may compromise that. And I think this is why, like my friends and I, we got into like open source software and we're into Ruby on Rails and like writing our own code. And it was kind of political, right? Because you're like, no, yes. we, we work on these free to the world projects. We're trying to make the world a better place. And like that's, that, right. that's how we were doing it. And so, you know, now like 10, 20 years into this game, what you realize is somebody has to maintain all that crap, all of that code that we wrote. And it kind of goes back to my earlier point about ornamentation, making things survive, because if it's not good, somebody's not going to do that maintenance and it's going to die. It's just going to go away. That's right. And the legacy, you know, there is something to modernization and more efficient ways of doing something. So I'll tell you about my journey and the pain points I had along the way. And maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe there's some ideas that we have that, you know. Well, so I'll tell you, I I send our episodes to the brands. Just I'm not doing I don't want to do anything like in secret. And if somebody wants to send me a cease and desist letter, I'd rather they do it sooner than later. (laughs) Like, I don't think this is going to like do upset brands that we're doing this. But if it does, it does. Anyway, I'm going to send this episode to them. So if we have specific things that are like, hey, this uh, like, this could have been better. Like, hello, Emily Powell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my I guess, gosh. I, I mean, I just, I obviously, you and I have a professional interest in this. We serve as brands 
like this professionally. Mm-hmm. We, we take this stuff mm-hmm. on as contracts. But even beyond any of that, I would just would like, I don't know. I, well, I hope that what we're saying is collaborative and from a spirit of let's make it better as opposed to an attack. So having, Absolutely. having set off that, how was your shopping experience on Powell's? I will tell you, at the heart of everything, we are helpers and givers. That's what we do. And we're both rooted in community. Okay. So I wrote down what we've already said. It's like an old school site, kind of from the late 90s. Here is what my first, I guess waypoint maybe or stop along this ride was I had to create an account. I was forced to create an account to check out. I didn't love that. Sometimes I want to check out as a guest because sadly for Powell's, I guess, if I buy books from them, I am going to be buying from them when I'm visiting. If I'm going to buy a book from an independent bookstore, I'm going to do it locally here. Right. Yeah, in Michigan. So, you know, so I want to check out as a guest. The next thing was I had to navigate back to my checkout screen to check out with PayPal because it was easier for me. Honestly, I don't remember because it was so many weeks ago now. I don't remember what I mean by that, but I think I made it to the checkout, wanted to pay, but then wanted to pay with PayPal because it would be easier. And then I had to go backwards down the trail. Mm -hmm. So I had to re navigate that trail. My shipping, this was not that big of a deal. I just wrote it down so you would know my shipping was $5.99. And I placed my order in the evening at 5.07 in mid-November on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So... And then how... And, so, then, yeah. <laughs> and then I wrote down at the end of November... I had written down, my package is still out there somewhere, but then it did arrive at the end of November. So it literally took 13 days to get here. So basically two weeks. Yeah. That's crazy. That's It's a little crazy, but it is a book. I mean, I haven't looked at my box yet, but we can talk about whether this is book rate. Yeah, or whatever, because yeah, I know that's a slower service. Yeah, and it, and we there was a holiday over that period, and it would have been high volume. Mm-hmm. So this is we ordered on the fifteenth. It arrived on the twenty eighth, which is after Thanksgiving. The only thing I guess I want to say though is that you know ordering on the fifteenth, you should have been ahead of a lot of that volume, but because it shipped a little late, then it got pulled into the holiday, and they're like, "Well, that was over Thanksgiving, so it took longer." And you're like, "Well, yeah, but it shouldn't have been over Thanksgiving. I should have gotten it before Thanksgiving in the first place." And even started, yeah. Right. It's like I'm curious. Like a, a misstep adds more missteps, right? Starts to uh, snowball. Yes, it is. So I'm curious, I know we're not to the box yet, but did yours arrive on the same day mine did? Uh, mine was the 24th. Um, oh, okay. And so a little bit earlier. But, You're a lot closer. But a lot okay. closer. So even, I mean, even then, so it was, you know, I got it on Wednesday at 2 p.m. local time at the same slot. We always order at the same time, try mm-hmm. to coordinate that. Mm-hmm. Didn't ship for two days, right? So in a really hustling environment, ordering it too might have gone out same day. Didn't go out that day. Didn't go out the next day. Went out the Friday following. And then it was delivered a whole week after that. So it shipped in two days and then took a solid week to be delivered across that holiday. So tell me, 
Is there anything on my shopping journey that stands out to you? And what else is behind the scenes that I didn't even probably experience? Well, I mean, I think what it comes down to like that checkout optimization, you know, it, mm-hmm. there, there was some search that wasn't going very well. It felt like there was a lot of, I felt like I could feel the catalog engine under this thing. And there was like a big data import to get the catalog in. And maybe this is maybe like a feed from a distributor. And then there wasn't like a lot of attention on top of that. So like my example is I was like looking for a photo book. I thought it'd be nice to get like a coffee table book. And so I'm trying to find like maybe something about skateboarding or surfing or just something that would be nice to have around. And it's like the most bare bones presentation of this catalog that you can imagine where it's like, you know, whatever is in some database, like a one liner description, it's got a picture that doesn't get any bigger. There's no like explore the inside. There's no editorial. It just felt like so shallow, I guess. Yes. It did feel like, you know what, just come inside the store and take a look yourself. Yeah. That's, the yeah, message I got. That was the message I got. And so I was going through that experience and that wasn't great. And then actually, by the time we went to order, because we were trying to kind of pre-shop it a little bit. And then mm-hmm. I, the, the day we ordered, actually, I was like, oh, you know what? That new Murderbot book just came out, which is a fantastic series by Martha Wells. I highly recommend it if you're mm-hmm. into sci-fi or fantasy at all. Okay, um, you have to send the link now so we'll we can have to add it, it in I'm, the show notes. Oh my God, we yeah. have to send it to Martha <laughs> Wells. For my rules, whenever we mention somebody, I try to send somebody like, hey, we mentioned you on the podcast. Just had to, oh. That means we get to mention, we get to name drop Martha Wells. We get to DM her. Oh, that's so fun. I'm so glad that that happened kind of by accident. <laughs> You're going to fan all over that. I, I will try to keep it to a minimum, but I am a fan. Anyway, I was like, oh, I'll order the new murder bot. This is perfect. It's my, like, one of my beloved independent authors and Powell's books was perfect. But like, yeah, it wasn't in the store yet. And so it's like I, I ended oh. up buying it on my phone through the Apple bookstore instead of the hard copy mm. that I would have liked to get, you know, through Powell's that what day. What a missed opportunity. And you said something a second ago that really piqued my interest. I didn't even think that they wouldn't have a catalog database in their own system that they're calling out to another catalog. I mean, I think that didn't even occur to me. Well, they're importing my guess. Who knows how this is actually written? But my guess is it felt like there's like they have their own database, but then they're running like a script that kind of ingests like a distributor's list or something like that. And so when I went back three weeks after the book had come out, then it was there, right? And it's even like on a featured writer's list because Martha Wells is beloved. And so you can see they were promoting it and like the editorial team was kind of had added some of that deeper content. It wasn't just like the shallow catalog representation, but like on a book's release day, so you don't have the book. It's like whatever the timing was that kept it out of the Powells.com, but it was available, you know, on Apple books, like... I think that matters. Mm-hmm. I'm pissed because I like Powell's and I want them to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, it's like, yeah, but the world is yes. a demanding place. Like e-commerce has to be like, mm-hmm. not at a pretty high level or you just mm-hmm. you miss the sale. Yeah, totally. And, and I, I get it. E-commerce is like very hard, very complicated, it's very, very expensive to run these stores. Well, it is very difficult and very expensive. And I keep coming back to the idea of how important is it to them? Like, yeah. we just don't we, know. We, we don't maybe, know. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they don't. maybe they don't care. Or maybe they care 
X dollars worth and it does not include the features that we're asking for. Maybe they care enough to keep it there and maintain it, but it's not going to get the love and affection that yeah, the in-store... That, and, and, and it's not going to get the love and affection that the in-store thing. And maybe it's not going to get the love and affection that like a venture-backed, not independent... Mm-hmm. You know, right. So the, I think there's there's something to also consider, which is like, what is the longevity and what is the arc of this business? And if it means that, like, yeah, it's like maybe it doesn't have the fancy stuff that you would expect these days, but it's going to be here in 25 years versus some you know hotshot startup that like could mm-hmm. could go away altogether. Could yes. Did you see anything else back there? Oh, I did. You I, know, behind, no, behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> yeah, behind the scenes. A couple, a couple of things. There, there's a couple of uh, you know modern things here that they had plugged in. I, I noticed they were using HubSpot. Oh. HubSpot's pitch is software that's powerful, not overpowering. Seamlessly mm-hmm. connect your data, teams, and customers on one customer platform that grows your business. And it looked like that was powering their subscriptions model. You can that makes sense to, to me. Maybe like mm-hmm. a feed of of books and. HubSpot. And HubSpot has a lot of modules to my expertise is not HubSpot, but one of the clients that I'm working with right now is using HubSpot and they're using a couple different modules. So I think there's the CRM piece yeah. and the emailing, you know, the emailing piece, there's a marketing module. There are a couple other modules that I've logged in. I've poked around and then I jump out because it's not my area. I'm not, yeah, you know, in yeah, there, but exactly. it's, I do see how HubSpot could be used by any business for multiple. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a it's CRM, just, right? Customer relationship mm-hmm. management. And it's a, it's a database oh, yeah. to store your contacts, right? For like my mother-in-law, the CRM. <laughs> <laughs> and, and mine. I found out that my mother-in-law is also a listener and, and oh, a fan. Oh, hi. I know your (laughs) mother-in-law. So I think we need to keep the mother-in-law definition thing a thing. Yeah. So that people know what we're doing. It's a rule of thumb. Yeah. The other brand I'll mention is Hawk Search. Elevate your Mm -hmm. e-commerce with product discovery. Instantly engage to power sales with AI-powered site search. And so we... Have you ever heard of this one? No. I haven't. Me either. And I wonder, I'm curious when anytime it's anything says with AI, I feel like it's the exact same company that I was like six months ago <laughs> the with AI and like <laughs> technically under the hood somewhere they're like, okay, yeah, we made an API called OpenAI. Therefore it is with AI. I don't know how deep it is, but it goes, I think we've mentioned this before, like search is very difficult and it's like a really specialized oh. ability. And so it makes a lot of sense to bring it. Absolutely. There are entire teams. Yeah. Within companies that are focused on search, there are entire companies that are focused on search. So for example, in my former company, we used a company called Elastic to generate our search. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. very complicated. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was a good one. Um, on the technology side, I'm fairly sure they're using uh, ASP.NET, which is a Microsoft open source platform. And, and, older. Means, and, and, and older. <laughs> yeah, they have they have maintained it. They have contributed to it. I honestly didn't realize for a long time that ASP.NET was open source, and I hated it because it's I was like attached Ooh. to like '90s Microsoft, mm-hmm. and Microsoft has actually gotten a lot better with modern leadership and it's open source. Either always was, and I didn't know that, or or is now. And so I do not. I never knew. I do not have the 
cringe factor I, I used to have for ASP.net. I, I, I would I at least look at it. Yeah, I never knew it was open source. We used that as our language in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah. All of the developers I know now have moved on from .NET for the back end. So. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a whole and all that stuff is just like trend driven and generational driven. And mm-hmm. you know, my cohort, we were deep into Rails, and a lot of that it's actually hard to find Rails developers now because the young kids aren't choosing it. They're all choosing, I don't know, Next.js and and whatever. Mm-hmm. This is why. This is an archaeological dig. I feel like we've taken a Polaroid of the back end. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a moment in time for sure. Yeah. For sure. And it's working. But like when I get like our tracking confirmation link and I go to the page and send them, so I expect it to be, you know, branded and designed and like look nice and trying to take me back to my shopping experience. And would you like to get another book and all that? Like, no, 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 no. It like takes me. No, it's in Courier. To the, the worst. <laughs> page on ups.com that's like fine here's your tracking number and it's like (laughs) it's just like all of that stuff has been recognized in the last 15 years as an opportunity area and you know this kind of polaroid of that moment in the 90s it's a good reminder of (laughs) how e-commerce used to be anyway we're getting long in the tooth here on this episode let's open our packages shall we okay I don't know how to say this name, but it's Prejus Evertech. It's a curbside recyclable mailer. And I got a QR code so I can learn about that. It's made in the US. Oh, and you got a you got a straight up customized box with the Powell's logo on the side. That's nice. I sure did. So like oh, you got a small mailer. Yeah, which is really oh, this nice. Is- I love the packaging. This is nice, too. I wish mine was um, branded Powell's. Mine is branded Prejus, which is the disservice to Powell's because it's promoting the packaging manufacturer yours has that really nice powell's branding mm-hmm. yeah and if you look yours, at the bottom of yours does it have a signature on it yes it's the box maker box certificate edge crush tested how many pounds and, on that edge crush test l- hold on there's a label covering it uh, so i have to kind of peel back this label this company is out of kent washington the box maker that is not surprising crush test 32 pounds per inch all right and there's a size limit of 75 inches and a gross weight limit of 65 pounds i love i love that all that stuff Mm -hmm. is standardized and corrugated is really heavy and bulky and so you're always going to see a regional manufacturer of corrugated so we know powell's is you know headquartered in oregon and they're doing a lot of like that upper northwest stuff so definitely not surprised to see a regional corrugated manufacturer mine's got a big tear here to open and a tear strip which i am just dying to do Okay, I ripped open my box, but I realized we haven't looked at this label. Mine's Mail Innovations. How about yours? Mine is, yes, UPS Mail Innovations, which is becoming we've, a... We've seen <laughs> we that talk over, about and over. It yeah, over and over. and over. We've talked about it yeah. too much, some would say. I guess the only thing I want to say is like, this is more the Mail Innovations speed, how it took two weeks to get here. We've had some really fast Mail Innovations shipments. Let's talk a little bit about why Mail Innovations is cheap is because it doesn't get precedent when you're over capacity. So if you've got a truck that's full, the way you get that truck out the door, you prioritize the ground first class, the 
priority, all those things, those make it on the truck. Mail Innovations doesn't make it on the truck. And so that's what's happening. Oh, they're deprioritized. They are, it's, it's why it's cheaper is because it gets deprioritized, which I think is what we saw when there's like the volume goes up. And so we actually caused this problem our, ourselves a couple of times where we dump like, you know, 5,000 mail innovations packages into the system at the same time, which normally would take, you you know, put 10 in and they would take like two days, but you put 5,000 in, it takes two weeks and they start going to sort facilities in the wrong direction because that's where they've got capacity. And so you're looking at the tracking histories and they get very, very uncomfortable, especially if you're a consumer and you're expecting your package to be like coming towards you. And you're like, it's a week late and it's going the wrong direction because that's where the sort capacity was. Mm. Well, this deprioritization, I have a question. So is there a limit on how many times a package can be deprioritized? Like what what happens? (laughs) Okay. I mean, there (laughs) must somehow it makes it there There when I guess when capacity frees up. Yeah. When capacity frees up. Yeah, you're, mm. you're first in line and it, it will. I mean, there must be some guideline or error bars on it, but it's I've never found well, them. And it's not a guaranteed service, right? It's just like it, it usually takes two to seven days and it'll right, get there right. there's no guarantee or, or recourse if it takes three months instead. There must be a, a cutoff when a package is declared lost, but that's all you'd have. Here's something that we've covered before. So I've got you. UPS Mail Innovations up top. UPS Mail Innovations has the QR code with those three different IDs that I mentioned. Down below that, the barcode is USPS tracking. So there was a transfer just like in previous packages, previous episodes. And that package ID, that's the Mail Innovations package ID. And then separate Mm -hmm. from that, it's got the USPS tracking number. Okay, so you have the same. Yeah, I've got a cost center, which cost center is just going to be used for internal billing. Mine is 5470-SPLT. Mine too. Yeah. So I think these shipped directly from the distributor because I noticed my first scan, when I look at my tracking, even though my return address is Portland, Oregon, I think it's the Powell's store or a warehouse nearby, the first scan is up in Fife, Washington, which is two and a half hours north of Portland. It would take me a minute to find it and look it up to see where my first stop was. Um, I mean, judging by how long it took. <laughs> first stop was probably <laughs> I San Diego. It, I, don't was, I don't know, Hawaii. Yeah. So, I, I mean, to me, I, and it probably depends on what book you ordered and like what inventory is pulling from. But in this case, this came direct from a distributor, I think. And so I got the book. I ordered Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is why you were talking about your your one tiny hour. I was like, oh, you don't need to read this. You already know all about it. I don't. I haven't read it. I read so many business books and yet I have not read that one. Well, so it's Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results, an easy (gasps) and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. I'm going to order it. I need to read that. And I promise the world that I came up with one tiny hour by accident. (laughs) It really was an accident. I got to say, this packing slip, which was folded in half and inserted into the book, is really nice. Is really So does yours look like mine? Uh, the same packing slip. I don't have the shrink wrapping, though. Mine was 
why is your packing slip is shrink wrapped into the book and the book is on a little cardboard uh, stabilizer yeah is yours a paperback or a hardback hardback okay so mine mine is used so here's one possibility the used books like yeah you go in a poly mailer and you get what you get did you order yours new I did because it's a recently put out book. Yeah. And so yours so, came with like some shrimp wrapping, a, a stabilizer. Oh, the Cajun vegan cookbook. Very nice. Yes. And you know, I'm, I mean, you do know I'm from Louisiana. So did you know I that? knew you had Southern roots. Yes. I am from rural Louisiana. I grew up on a rice farm and I cook... Cajun vegan food. Wow. So I was really interested in this. Yeah. Take a look at your packing slip. What do you what do you think of it? Okay. You know I'm a big fan of like look and feel. Yeah. And yeah. look on the inside. This is gorgeous. Full bleed branding. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And they're all little boxes. Yeah. I think at their little boxes, they're also, maybe is that the shape of the store? Because it's a city block? Oh, it could be. And the store has multiple levels. Like, I think the hey, entrance... Is the store built like a cuber? I don't remember it being... Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Okay, so the packing slip is gorgeous, everyone. Especially the back of it. But now we need to analyze the front, well, which I mean, is just, actually I also just, gold. Yes. Yeah, it's just really, really nice. This is the best packing slip we've seen so far. I wish I was involved with this part of it because it's just so well done. Pre-printed, double-sided, and then when they feed it through. The other thing, the printer has enough toner in it that it's got a good clean. I, I, I just want to call it out. Printers in warehouses break and run out of toner like so fast because all they do is like print all day right. long, right? I got to say, this is like a fresh toner. Somebody cared that this looked nice. I also want to call out the paper. Yeah. Feels it's a heavier... really quality. Yeah. It's heavy. Yeah. And you're right. It's picking up this ink just perfectly. There's no blurring. Yeah. There is no fading. And I also love, because it's graphic, you know, this band across yeah, the bottom exactly. that's their branding. Yeah. It's That's what it's I wonderful. thought we were going to see in the whole shopping experience. Yes. So that's like where it's like, they're. I think they're really good at physical and mm-hmm. the digital isn't, isn't maybe quite their, their strong those? suit. I think this is, you know, for whatever it, whatever it means, and my where my items, there's a little space where it's like checked by, you know, above the item, and it's maybe designed for a human to like write in like their initials. Mine is very much blank. Minus two. <laughs> yeah, that is an optimism in the design of the backing slip mm-hmm. that did it not is. make it. We stopped doing that six years ago, but it's still printed on. Them. Yeah, not optimistic though is, and I'm sure yours has the same thing, where it says date. Yeah. You can tell what date it got. Yeah. It dropped on November 15th. Now the date is November 17th. Oh, mine is November 19th. Oh, yours didn't even ship for another... It didn't even ship for two days. days. Yeah. It didn't ship for four days. Yeah. So this is it's mine. Does yours say economy up in the top? Yeah. Okay. So we both have economy shipping. Mine didn't ship for four days. Yours didn't ship for two. Out of curiosity, what was your payment method? Did you use a service like PayPal or did you just straight up? I had a straight up credit card. 
Okay. So mine does say that I used PayPal yeah. in the payment method portion. So yeah, that's really it. I mean, other than the beauty of this piece of paper, there's not a lot of information here. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing. So if you look at everything that's printed dynamically, does not have any brand at all. And so I'm fairly sure this came from the distributor. We know they've got a relationship with Ingram. So maybe this came directly from like an Ingram warehouse or mm. a relationship of theirs. But I think that by pre-printing the paper, that's how they get the branding onto it so that they can ship for a lot of different brands and a lot of different bookstores. And the in like the WMS they're using, they don't have a way to add a logo or, add, or customize this. So that's all standard, you know, locked into the WMS because this was written in God knows when, you know, 70s or 80s. But they can put a, they put customized branded paper into the printer. And then now you've got the experience that we're looking at. The modern way to do that would you to all like have a designable PDF and you'd put all blank paper in and then it would be part of the design file, but it would be a little uglier as a result. It's like pros and cons, right? Yeah. Yeah. So WMS is warehouse management systems mm, sorry. system. I know that one so well. I yeah. forgot that it was an acronym. That's Okay. We covered it, actually, in episode one. But specifically, um, if we're going for the mother-in-law test, my mother-in-law said that they would not pass a test on the acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> and they may not, even once they know what the acronyms stand for, they still may not pass the test. Because <laughs> who knows what a warehouse management system is. Yeah. So, yeah. This is it, right? Yeah, this I is mean... it. This is it. I think it's great. There's lots of pros and cons. Like, I think because we were a little bit hard on the shopping experience, I just want to say again, I'm like, death, I'm like falling over myself to show how much I love this company, how much I want it to work. I hope when Emily Powell or whoever hears this, they hear the love. Let's talk about it. Let us put some team together and fix some of these things. Well, we've both been there in person from out of town. We both ordered books that we're keeping, right? You're keeping Yeah, I'm, I got mine. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to read it. So there's love in this. And we both appreciate the packing slip. And we both love independent bookstores. Love independent so. bookstores. Love Powell's. Got to yeah. do better on the shopping experience. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I guess that's it. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. I will see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening. James's latest company is called Trivial. They are building a data platform for online businesses to quickly see the metrics that make a difference. And Jennifer's business, Roo, that's R-O-U-X, provides the operating structure for growing businesses so they can move from fires to flow. If you have an unboxing experience you'd like us to evaluate, you can find us on LinkedIn. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Unboxing E-Commerce wherever you get your podcasts. Bye-bye.